Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast episode. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, and this week we are talking all about mediation. I'm really delighted that I've got Pete Colby of, uh, of Pragmatism, sorry, <laughs> Pragmatism UK Limited with me, who's going to enlighten us about you know when we use mediation I actually don't know very much about it at all um so I'm really interested to have this conversation with you Pete thank you so much for joining us on the HR Uprising would you like to introduce yourself perhaps give us a bit of your background um no you're very welcome and thank you very much for the invite it's um it's great to have this chance to 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 talk to you Lucinda um my background is I'm well I'm 52 years old so so I've got a lot of background but um just just to very briefly summarize it it's mainly HR. So I um, did HR mainly in manufacturing in organizations such as British Steel, um, then in the food industry for Northern Foods, and then latterly in aerospace for Rolls-Royce. Um, I left corporate life um, at the end of 2018. And since then, I've been running my, my own business, mainly focused on um, mediation. So doing mediations and training mediators, they're the two main things that the business so did you group. do mediation in your career as an HR professional? Yes, yes. I first trained as a mediator in, in 1996, which is, okay. I only realised the other day is 25 years ago. Um, so yeah, time flies. Yeah. Um, so yes, I first attended a mediation training course then and and then just have always practised it and have always had a an inherent dislike of formal grievances. Um, so, so that's what's driven me. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so can you help me understand? Because I'm, I've probably got lots of assumptions, but and, and I can see that certainly those you had quite heavily unionized um, yep. in, in, in businesses that you were working with. Is that a, a thread? Is that particularly relevant, or is mediation it's, in different businesses? <clears throat> It, it's relevant in in terms of it can be used with in unionized environments but it's just as relevant in non-unionized environments so you know the if i think about the range of issues that i've mediated it's it's been everything from two business owners and they were the only two employees um obviously no unions through to um national union strikes so so it's you know, yes, the unions play a part and usually are quite um, quite positive about mediation because if you get the, the right trade unions, then they're keen to resolve issues without formal processes and without formal grievances, etc. because they don't really enjoy them either. So how does mediation fit in? You've mentioned grievances twice then. So if, when would a mediator be brought into a situation? So, so in practice... Um, normally somebody will contact somebody like myself after <clears throat> an employee's raised a grievance and then they've um, appealed that grievance outcome 
and then probably somebody else has put a counter grievance in against them and they're looking at tribunals. That's normally when somebody will say, oh, well, maybe we'll, we should try mediation. The, the more effective way of doing things is to try mediation before you get into any of those processes. Because one, one thing that many people don't realize about mediation is it's, it's not instead of, it's, it's as well as. But the aim of mediation is that, is that all parties involved feel that they then don't need to go down formal grievance processes, employment tribunals, etc. So, so, so that's what the aim of mediation is. And, you know, mediation is not, it's not rocket science in its principle. It's just really getting in the middle of an issue, usually between two people, often between teams, sometimes between companies and trade unions, whatever the issue is, it's just getting into the middle of that, of, of that issue, which is what, what mediation is all around, all about. So before I ask a bit more about what it is, so I can see, so basically there's a conflict or a disagreement um, within the workplace and it's not easy to resolve. And so mediation would be engaged. Would typically HR, because you've been in both hats, would typically HR have that hat on prior or is there an obvious point at which you go to mediation? Very often it's HR. It, it, it doesn't need to be HR. And, and, and I suppose we're talking two different things here. Where, mm. where um, we're talking about mediation as in external professional mediators like, like myself, you know, I do workplace civil and commercial mediation. It's not just workplace. So, okay. you know, you, you go into an outside body because things have got so bad. You need, you need somebody external to look at this. But if you look at mediation if we do it the right way, um, the way that I think organisations should do it, actually, it's somebody internal who's got the skill set, which is often HR professionals, but sometimes some managers or even not managers, sometimes even trade union reps, they they can make good mediators because it's not about the qualifications that you've got. It's it's sometimes about the experience, but it's it's about the approach you've got. And, and what mediation is, I always say to people, all it is, is facilitating people to have honest conversations. So, so when I trained as a mediator in British Steel, for example, I already had in my mind, I used to sit in formal grievances and I used to see that the first stage always said we should try to resolve it informally. But I used to see that that didn't happen. Um, and I used to hate taking notes in grievances and things, it, it was awful. But I always used to see that the outcome was, well, we've upheld the grievance or we haven't, or we've partially upheld it, but the, the actual issue still remained. And, and that's when people were starting to look at mediation, et cetera, and calling in external people like myself. But as soon as I trained as a mediator, an internal mediator, that then gave me a different mindset. And it almost gave me just the confidence to, to know that I've got the tools and techniques that I can get in the middle of this issue in that informal process and see if I can help these people to resolve the issue. And, and what I found was on most occasions that happened. On the few occasions that it didn't happen, people then just went to back to where they were. They could raise a formal grievance. But I always saw that then as a failure on my part. It, it sort of hit me in, the, in my heart to say I couldn't resolve that. But, but what I was then heartened by was if the people through the formal grievance process, they couldn't come up with a solution either. 
right, well, you know, I've done all I could then. And sometimes then they will call in an external mediator who might have just a, a wider perspective and a more independent view, et cetera. But, you know, me, mediation is known. I mean, uh, you know, I tend to monitor sort of stats and, and things like that because, you know, we call it success rate, but I, I don't think that's the right terminology, but it's over 90% of mediations that result in a, an amicable mutual outcome. Now, sometimes, don't get me wrong, those amic amicable mutual outcomes are separation and not repairing the relationship. And I suppose that's where, as an external mediator, I can have those real conversations and it's more difficult for an internal person to have those. But but again, you know, we can all have without prejudice conversations in disputes, et cetera. But, but yeah, that's, that, that's what that's what it's all about for me is avoiding these formal processes because I just think we, we waste so much time, money, but more importantly, co cause so much stress that we could avoid. And it's not just for the parties, it's for the HR people as well that are involved and the managers that are involved. Yeah, the pain and stress involved in formal processes. So it's kind of right. issue resolution. Sounds a bit like... Um, marriage guidance in in organizations just preventing things where people have to yes. go sue each other to pay the lawyers yes. to things right it's, it's well it's exactly yeah, yeah. And, and and i always say in mediation you know no party should feel like they've won because if they do one party feels like they've lost yeah but when things go all the way you know whoever wins in court there, there's only ever one winner and that well two the lawyers on each side yeah um yeah. And, and you know don't get me wrong I you know I work with a lot of lawyers and most lawyers nowadays are great lawyers that they, they, they are wanting to help their clients to resolve issues as early as possible the bad lawyers don't they want them to go all the way so they maximize their fees but most lawyers are good and and to get that that advice through lawyers and things is is also really important um which is why I work very closely with a you know quite a few lawyers both employment and and commercial so so i'm really interested to, to understand a bit about what you do in, in in terms of mediation but i suppose before we go there then when just tell me how you how would you get engaged because you're independent so you i can understand you'd get engaged you probably had a day job when you were in an organization then you'd be brought in as and when is it the same way when you're independent or what why would people engage you and you also said you have yeah. a range of reasons to be engaged you're civil yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I suppose it's a separate conversation in that I do. So I'll do commercial contractual disputes and I'll do civil, you know, so if there's two neighbors falling out or landlord tenants, things like that, I'll, I'll mediate those disputes as well. But workplace employment mediation is a specific leg of, of mediation. And, it, and it's more where I specialize, to be honest. Um, and, and why would I get engaged? It would normally be that, either a HR professional or a manager in the organization would say, you know, they, they know of me or they're out there looking for a mediator because they, they can't resolve the issues internally. And as I say, usually it's already gone through the grievance process um, and they're wanting to try to, to reach a, a, a solution. So they, they call an external mediator in um, <clears throat> the point I always make to people because once once we get to a resolution and people are like oh that's great I always talk to people about root cause and 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 usually probably on I don't know 
I'm guessing, but seven or eight out of 10 mediations, people say, oh, I wish I'd have had that conversation a year ago and we could have nipped this in the bud. And then that's the conversation I'm having with them about, okay, you might not currently have the confidence to have got in the middle of that issue, but a year ago, it was less of an issue. And if you'd have had that confidence and, you know, maybe a few of the skills to do that, actually, you could have just got in the middle of those two people, facilitated that conversation, and it wouldn't have escalated as far as it did. So, you know, it very much is about that confidence thing. And when I was back in British Steel, as a fairly, not junior, but, you know, my first HR manager's job, I didn't have that confidence because I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And you know, things are hard when you don't know how to do them. They're a bit easier when you do. So, so what do you do then? What are the skills that you bring to to this? You say it's kind of common sense, but I mean, how, I mean, yeah. you were trained to do, what do you do? So, so the, the things that enable you to be a, a good mediator are not being a black and white sort of policy driven type of person um, <clears throat> and putting those to one side and, and being able to listen to people and to understand them so the role of a mediator is very much it's very much not a judge it's very much a facilitator so sometimes people will come to a resolution between them that I think wow if that was me that wouldn't be my ideal solution but it's not me so it looks like it's a good one for them yeah if it works for them it works Mm -hmm. for them now what I do do is test their thinking Uh, I always play a little bit of devil's advocate and what I say to them is metaphorically prod and poke a little bit because you want to test that their resolution is a, is a good sound resolution. And, and I always say to people, the, the one thing you can guarantee in life is that something else will go wrong. So part of the conversation is if, and when this goes wrong again, or you, you know, you look at the other person in the wrong way, or they perceive that that's happened or read an email the wrong way, whatever, how are you going to deal with that? Because what you don't want is, well, we're going to go back to where we are and we're going to go down grievance process and mm-hmm. things it's usually more about communication and how they work together, etc. So, so, so the way, the, the way we get to that and people are often surprised when I talk about a mediation about how long it can take because we invested if it's an investigate sorry not an investigation a mediation between two people we will put a day aside for that mediation now that bear in mind that's when it's gone so badly that they're having to call in an external mediator um but what we do is we invest a lot of time in getting to know the people and getting to know what's behind the issue rather than what's on the face of the issue because in a grievance normally whatever is being written in the grievance is not the real issue. Um, so, it's so it's what when we, it's come to a head, people have got to the point, is that going back yeah, to the point it's are, not being nipped in the bud, it's gone I've, out of control. Yeah. I've got a case on at the moment that's involving sex, race, disability, discrimination, um, various unfair treatments and things. That's what the grievance is about. The actual issue is none of those things. It's, it's actually about something different. And, and that's because we've had those conversations about getting to know the person. And one, one important thing about mediation is it's, it's very, very confidential. And we do it on a without prejudice basis. So, so the conversations that we have privately are not necessarily all shared with the other party. Because you want to really understand what the issue is. 
So a lot of the skills of a mediator is building up that trust. Definitely. It all comes yeah. down to trust and relationships yeah. in the workplace. And, and you've got to do that as a mediator as well, because if you don't build that trust and that relationship with the people, then you're not going to get everything out of them. Therefore, you're not going to get to the root of the issues. It strikes me um, that there's a bit of a vocational aspect in this. I mean, you come over the really you, you you come over as very empathic, and I think that must be incredibly important in the role that you're in. You know, to to build trust quickly. That's that's the key to get to yeah. the bottom of it. Yeah, just just on that, it, it it's it's fairly regular that I will after half an hour know things about an employee that their manager, who's managed them for ten years, didn't know. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, that's, that's typical of, of some of the, you know, and, and, and in most of those cases, the root cause is usually the leader and they've been, you know, they've probably been promoted into that role because they're good technically and not great with people. So they do need some help from a leadership perspective, et cetera. But yeah, it is all about that empathy. And, um, and because, because I always say to, to people that they're always worried about, am I on their side? And, and I always say, yes, I am but I'm on the other person's side as well. And, and, and it's not about that judgment. It's about facilitating those people to, because there is a solution out there. Um, my strap line on the business is there's, there's always a solution with a touch of pragmatism. And, 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 it, and, it, and it is so true. Um, but if you are a black and white, well, the policy says this type person. A lot of lawyers train as mediators and, and in my view, don't make great mediators because they will jump to, what clause 3.1.4 says in a policy. And, and that's not, you know, you leave that for the judge or the grievance or whatever, they can decide who's right or wrong. This is about getting people to understand each other's perspectives and, and just working together on reaching a solution. So you've got to be an excellent listener, really yeah. empathic, good at um, building trust um, and obviously be trustworthy and um, be able to operate in shades of grey. So I think also, you know, so lawyers they, they have to kind of be black or white you've got to be decisive if it's right or wrong whereas actually it's coming up with something which you don't know what shade of gray that person yeah. wants and it might yeah, not yeah. even be the one that you choose but it's yeah. finding that solution that fits into it in a, in a pragmatic Absolutely. way mm. yeah yeah and sometimes mediations you know most of the time in commercial mediations the lawyers are involved anyway mm. most most of the times in employment they're not but sometimes they are or you're working with them in the background as well because it's good to have those conversations, you know, it's, you know what it's like, it's always like, oh, well, you know, my lawyers told me I'll definitely win. And then I'm saying, right, okay, great, get that in writing from them, because I'm not <laughs> too sure they'll give you that. Yeah. But to be able to have that conversation with the lawyers as well is sometimes useful. But again, that's when things have gone, you know, quite badly, and usually have been going on for months and years. Um, yeah. if, you can, if you can nip it in the bud, as soon as people often ask me the question, is it too early to mediate? And the answer always is, it's never too early. It's sometimes too late. So, so the, the time it's too late is, is the minute after the judge has made his, his or her decision. Mm. But any time in between, mediation is, is fine. Because again, all it is, and sometimes, you know, when you do an internal mediation, you don't brand it as mediation. You're just saying, let's get together. Let's have a chat. You know, let you talk to me and you talk to me. Let's see if I can help you sort it out. Yeah. You don't have to put the whole, if it's a very low issue and you can see something is, is bubbling, you're just helping people to have a chat and work things through. And um, actually, that's really interesting. So I was just thinking about a few years ago when I kind of 
thinking about it, I had to mediate between a couple of members of, of staff and um, uh, ish, but they were both in the same room as I was there. So it's trying to get them to listen to each other. But I think sometimes, I mean, how often do you do it in the same room where all, you know, both parties and yourself are there or do you listen, do you, do you listen to each hmm. of them independently first? Is there a process? Yes, there is very much so. And, 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 and to be honest, I mean, our mediation training is slightly different to, to what you would get on most media because most mediation training would say put people in a room together to start with I've I've I don't do that I never have done it and I never will do it and and the reason for that is I I often get called because somebody will say I've tried to mediate with these people and it just made it worse I got them in a room together Mm. banged their heads together or whatever and got them to say what they think and and one walked out and, and, and I always say to them, well, I'm not surprised. And that's why I don't throw people in a room together to start yeah. with. Because why make it worse before you try and make it better? Yeah, um, I can see that. People are, and people are not always truthful either in that bit. No, exactly. And, and, and a key part, as you said, is, is you need to be a good listener. And if you're in dispute with somebody, first of all, you know, your heart will be racing. You'll be, you won't be thinking about, about what that person's saying. As they're talking, at best, you'll be practicing what you're going to say to tell them why they're wrong. So, so, so a lot of, you know, and many HR professionals will know about active listening and things like that. And it's so important in mediation because that's when you are getting people to understand about perspectives. You won't do that by just throwing people into a room. So the, the process in very simple terms is that I have a, on an external mediation, I have an external. I have a uh, an external call with them before the mediation, and this is all part of the building the relationship. So, and, and usually it takes an hour. So, so I will have a call with each party, and there might be five parties involved in a mediation. So, I will have a, an hour with each person, and the main reason for that is to make sure that they're not worried about the process, to answer any questions they've got, and I will have sent them Q and As beforehand. But mainly it's to start to get to know them and for them to get to know me, to start building that trust of of this person that's going to help them with their issue. Um, But on the mediation itself, I very much start separately. And no two mediations are the same. But if I took an average mediation, I would say that half of the day is spent separately. Because what I'm doing is, is I'm facilitating a conversation between those two people. And with permissions and things to share and, and various things. And there's ve- various tools and techniques and things that we we go, you know, we use to, to, to maximize the, the, that com- confidential conversation. But I want them to have a really honest, open, difficult conversation with each other. But they're not in the same room. Because what I'm looking to do is bring them together at the right point. And that's when it's more about future thinking and how they're going to work together, et cetera, et cetera. And the ideal outcome of a mediation for me and a lot of, I know ACAS and a lot of mediators will say there's no outcome of a mediation. I don't agree with that at all. I think the ideal outcome of a mediation, which most do get to, is a written agreement. And I say agreement with a small a, not something that they sign, but a, a, an agreed wording mm. that, that, that is about their how they're going to work going forward. And I describe that as the platform for building trust we're not miracle workers. They're not going to be best friends and trust each other implicitly after that mediation. Yeah. But if they can get that platform for trust, 
it's then principles yeah agree yeah yeah and sometimes it's very simple things like the next time i'm hacked off with you i'm not going to send you an email i'm going to talk to you let's have a coffee (laughs) you know it's it's not complex stuff often so again you've gone back to the things that have caused it in the first place and let's let's not let this get out of control again and just snip things in the bud yeah i have to tell you about a classic case which was two two managers in london who um, who were friends and one was on lunch and and during lunch one of the friends um, had read a leadership book and put it on their friend's desk with a post-it note saying I think you should read this <laughs> something happened during lunchtime which meant the other manager wasn't in the best of moods and read the post-it so dropped his friend or probably wasn't a friend by then um, an email a rocket of an email to say, who do you think you are? You think the best manager in the world called him patronizing, horrible email. So he got one back. He got the same. They put grievances in against each other. They, one of them then went off with stress, had quite a, not all because of this, but it was a big contributor, but had a nervous breakdown, various things, the usual stuff. And by the time I was involved, it was almost two years after the book was left on the desk. After the mediation, and this was two men, they were crying, they were hugging, and they were apologising for all the stress they'd put each other through for almost two years, because the intent was, this is a great book, mate. Why don't you borrow it? I'm lending you my book. And it was, you know, and and you see that a lot. And you're just like, well, if somebody could have just helped them (laughs) to have that conversation after the first email or the first email exchange, they'd have had that conversation then and they'd have saved so much stress, you know. And, it's and almost like a think, pride thing, isn't it? It's almost, if just one of them had said, oh, thanks very much, or even, you know, yeah, yeah. what are you trying well, to say? Yeah. Although I know that's not necessarily good, is it? Banter is, is, can actually be a negative in, in these sorts of things as well. But uh, It can, it can. And, you know, I describe it as positions versus interests. Once, once those emails happen and grievances happen, people take positions. Yeah. What we do in mediation, which is why you've got to be such a good listener, is you get into the interests. And I don't mean flower arranging and things. I mean, what's the, you know, that question we ask in grievances, what do you see as a resolution? What do you see as the outcome? It's that type of stuff, but really exploring it. Um, and that's where you get the resolutions. It's not what's written in the emails or the grievances. Oh, so I'm going to know what the book was. Just out for, that's just a random piece of knowledge, actually. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember I what, the, what the actual book was. Apparently, answers, it was a good book. on a postcard. Any listener, what might be the book that would really wind people up or something like that? Um, and I'm sure it was just, a, and I'm sure it was just curious. But before we go on, sorry, some tips and and, and um, etc. For anyone listening, that you maybe they can maybe take away, and obviously how they can engage. They want training or your your services. I'm interested just to go back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier. See if there are certain themes in organisations that repetitively cause um, problems. And one of the things you mentioned, which I thought was interesting, and knowing that we both talked about businesses that we've worked for before, and you know, one of the big businesses I've worked for that this resonated with is the classic thing where a technical manager is, mm. uh, or an engineer, or um, you know, it's someone who's who's actually not at all interested in people is promoted into a people manager role and therefore yep. they don't really do people management. So that is a kind yep. of classic root yep. cause at an organisational level. What other ones do you see that maybe as HR professionals, we could think about preventing 
some of this? I, th I think, yeah, that's the, that's the biggest one. I think the other thing is um, a lot of managers who probably have got that capability, because I think the first, the first population you talked about, probably it's a bit of a DNA thing. So mm -hmm. how, how much development they have, it still might not make the difference. But yeah, they don't have the people are... gene full stop, let alone training. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, keep them in front of their spreadsheets and things and don't let them loose on people. But, <laughs> you know, there are as well a lot of potentially great leaders, but but almost organisations seem to, to have a view that because they've signed a contract to say they're now a manager, suddenly they should be a really good leader. And we all know the difference between being a manager and a leader. And, and it, you know, sometimes people are very natural at it. Sometimes they're not, and they just need that little bit of help, coaching, whatever. And and they need, you know, that's where for me the HR function, you know, has has immense value to to help those leaders to work through these these issues and prevent prevent a lot of the stuff I have to get involved in. Um, but to become, you know, when we talk about employee relations and employee engagement. You know, it's it's easy to say, but it's you know it takes some doing, and sometimes they just those leaders just need the confidence to to lead people. Um, so so I think I think training training has its role, um, but as we all know, you probably learn more from from people, you know, coaching, mentoring, yeah. that, that type of thing. But but to really support those leaders, those managers in becoming leaders, um, takes time and effort. Um, it's interesting, though, the concept of leader, because I actually think the management skill of, I mean, we were talking off camera or off audio earlier, won't we, about that management skill of having honest conversations, just having regular yeah. honest conversations yeah. is often yeah. one of the ones that's lacking the most in terms of where people can get come issues. You were talking about your no surprises mantra. Let's talk a bit about that one. Well, well, I, I mean, you mentioned it first and it was it was great that we both, you know, we both have the same mantra of no surprises and it's, I've always found it so true. And, you know, you look at performance management, things like that, you know, and, you know, I don't know what the percentage of disputes I get involved in that involves um, performance ratings and all this lot, but it's pretty high. Is it? And I was going to say, are the regular themes? So, so people dispute yeah. the fact that they've been given a rating or whatever and then... Yeah, and not only do they dispute it, they then see it as bullying and victimisation and all this stuff. And, and, and that's where... For me, that's the difference between mediation and things like grievances, because I can have really honest conversations with them about, OK, you know, my, my first job, I, I didn't mention this to you, but I was actually bullied in my first job because I left school at 16. I was a trainee dental technician making false teeth. That's another story. <laughs> but, but my boss used to physically hit me and, and, and twice almost knocked me out. So no. so so I know that I know that I was bullied in my that's first more than job. bullying. Gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, you know, it's pretty serious bullying. So I'm able to have those conversations with somebody and, and I'll say to them, I know that was bullying. Now, I had to give them my background to them when I first met them as part of that relationship building. So when they say I'm being bullied because of my PDR rating, I can say, right, I know that when my manager not, almost knocked me out, I know that was bullying. Let's talk about whether a PDR rating that's not what you expected, whether that's bullying or whether it's not <laughs> yeah and, and you can have those really honest conversations but yeah. yeah performance management is but the root cause when you look at it is usually the you know the, there's a company has got a process and it's once or twice a year they fill a form in about performance rating and you know people who have a surprise that gets a performance rating that's higher than the expected usually they won't raise a dispute about that 
yeah. it'll be a nice surprise but often it's the other way and that's when things happen and I always say to them well you know no surprises it shouldn't be a surprise you should be having those conversations weekly monthly whatever it is but you know and not just how are they doing how are you doing as a manager you know it's all that coaching that yeah, two-way that conversation really is required Co- continuous yeah. conversations that is that is absolutely oh, it in terms of, and but not just conversations tactical conversations it's actually um you know giving people the opportunity being honest giving honest mm. feedback and not shying away from it and i think that's we're doing loads of training on that here as well ourselves i think the remote working people are realizing that that's more important um mm to do mm. and prevent mm. this oh i think we could go into culture but i'm going to steer clear of that because of the whole <laughs> grievances and things like that because we've hit our time or close to it but um just if you've got a few takeaways for an H- any hr professionals listening if they've got some an issue is there anything you would recommend or say when you bring in a mediator when they should mediate themselves um anything like that that you suggest or ha- or My- that would help my view would be, you know, I suppose I go back to my experience of my HR. I, I saw being trained as a mediator as a real launch pad for my HR career. And I did okay. You know, I was fairly in some fairly senior roles in companies like British Steel and um, yeah. and Rolls-Royce and things. And the reason I did pretty well was I tended to get moved towards, oh, you, you seem to be able to sort this issue out. Yeah, kind of problem Can you sort it? And mm. so, so, so my view, ironically, is almost don't feel you have need, have the need to call me in or somebody like me as a mediator because actually probably 80-90% of the issues you could actually help right at that starting point and that's what I did you know one organization I joined had 12 grievances per week 600 wow. grievances a year it was just mad it was crazy we it took three years but we went to one grievance in 15 months and it wasn't that the issues went away it was how we dealt with the issues and so 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 for me my one takeaway would be if you're a hr professional you've got a certain set of skills anyway and to put to get that extra string to your bow of being able to mediate is immensely powerful so so that's why we do the mediation training to help people and it is mainly hr but it's also managers as well to help people to just be able to get in in the middle of these issues and avoid those horrible formal grievances i might get you to tell me a little bit more about that mediation training because i think it might be useful for people and also what's involved but just briefly because i am i just have worked with an organization where they've had that sort of grievance culture and in terms of in in a nutshell how did you get it from whatever however many you said a week to yeah what did you do in that organization that it was very heavily trade unionized and they they were one of the influencers for all the grievances so what i did was i agreed with because they did agree that we needed to avoid formal grievances if we could so i trained my hr team in mediation and i put myself almost as a as a, an escalation in the mediation process so if they couldn't help the people to resolve it it then came to me and and i then and and very few did because they sorted them out. The few that came to me, I sorted most of those out. There was one that I couldn't sort out. And I always say that I class formal grievances as a failure. It's either a failure of the company to sort things out informally, or sometimes it's a failure of an individual to have any sense of rationale. This one that got through was one in the latter. He insisted I was gonna make him redundant. He threatened to take us to court for making him keep his job. I offered to pay for a lawyer for a, of his own choice and things like you do on a settlement agreement. And he, he said, no, he put in a formal grievance. It took 20 minutes. 
and he retired instead. He didn't take us to court, <laughs> but it was a formal grievance. <laughs> right, fair enough. Okay, so that sounds like quite a result. So that actually does lead. So just briefly, because I know you you do uh, mediator training. So what would be involved in mediator training if people wanted to do that? What's so the mediation training we do? It, so I suppose it's twofold. Um, we do a um, a course in Nottingham that's um, based at Eastwood Hall in Nottingham. So nice food and yeah, all this. Nice place. Yeah, it, it's three days. Um, and the the other way that we do it is we can go to if organizations have got sufficient numbers we go to their organization deliver it yeah. in-house it's exactly the same training but it basically consists of lots of so some theory as much as i don't like theories it's important so we do the theories but more importantly we build the practical cases and real life stories and interaction around those real life cases um, and we talk and we give people the skill set to to be a mediator, how to do a, how to do a mediation, what happens when people reach an impasse, different negotiation techniques and things like that to get people to maximize the opportunity of reaching that reaching that solution. Um, so it's um, myself and another mediator, Charlotte, who's also a CIPD lecturer and things like that so she's you know a great trainer and things but was also a very good mediator really? and we do that between us and it's three days of us just trying to help people to 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 explore all that and just avoid those grievances it's just um I don't think anybody enjoys grievances. No absolutely so thank you so much Pete for coming on and telling us all about mediation um if people want to reach out to you get in touch with you you personally, and I'm sure you can link into Charlotte. Do you want to just tell everybody? Obviously, I'll put as usual on the hruprising.com show notes. I'll put links. How do they get hold of you if they want to to get so, directly in touch? So LinkedIn, I'm I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So that's how I found you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. C O L B Y. Um, my email address is pete at pragmatism uk.co.uk um the website is pragmatism-uk.co.uk um i can give my mobile number if you want me to no don't do that no, i'm sure you can find you digitally and that would be great um yeah. but so yeah I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed um listening and learning uh, from you there pete and i can see why you do a great job so thank you so much for coming on the hr uprising no thanks for taking the time i really appreciate it i've enjoyed the chat me too thanks a lot thank you Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined-up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 